0: Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 58 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big Bible question is the modern church too pastor centered? We're also going to be continuing our discussion of spiritual gifts from yesterday. So happy Thursday, friends. I want to invite you to check out our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com. It started at the beginning of 2020 along with the show, and it pretty much has a transcript of every episode. So if you want to look up a scripture we discussed or you heard a quote by Spurgeon or C.S. Lewis or Piper or somebody like that, you want to find it, just come to the site. There's a search box there. It's kind of no frills. It'll load fast. It's got a 105,000 words on it, so lots and lots and lots of words and resources there that you can look up, and if you have a question for the show that you want us to cover, just leave it as a comment. It doesn't matter which post you leave it on. I'll get it and add it to the file, and hopefully we can cover your question at some point. I also want to encourage you to leave a review for the show uh, or share it on social media. We want to catch everybody into the habit of reading the Bible daily, and that's kind of the mission and the goal of this show. So if you share it on Facebook, you share it on Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or wherever, or just word of mouth, let people know about the Bible Reading Podcast, share it on social media, and leave us a review on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcast. That is super helpful. Today's Bible passages kick off with two terrible plagues in Exodus chapter 10, locusts and darkness. Pharaoh's grip is certainly loosening on the Israelites at this point. Job 28 is a very interesting passage. It sort of serves as a a meditation or a hymn or a whatever, to on wisdom. It was probably written and spoken by Job, and it's really just an amazing work of literature. It ends with this incredible paragraph, and I'm going to read it, and that means I'm going to read this paragraph twice today, but trust me, it's worth it. He says, Where then does wisdom come from, and where is understanding located? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing and concealed from the birds of the sea, the sky. Abaddon and death say, we have heard news of it with our ears. But God understands the way to wisdom, and he knows its location. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When God fixed the weight of the wind and distributed the water by measure, when he established a limit for the rain and a path for the lightning, he considered wisdom and evaluated it. He established it and examined it. He said to mankind, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn from evil is understanding. Wow. In Luke 13, Jesus answers a very modern question about those who are victim of natural disasters and other calamities. Do they generally happen to people because those people are more sinful? I tell you no, says the Master, but unless we all repent, we will also perish. And we'll continue our mini-series on spiritual gifts today based on our focus passage of 1 Corinthians 14. Our big question of the day, as I said, is whether modern Western churches are overly focused on the gift and the what someone might call the office or the function of pastor. We will also be discussing several basic and biblical truths about spiritual gifts. Before we dive into that, though, I want to share a story. Then we're going to read 1 Corinthians 14. This story is kind of a throwback to our first discussion of spiritual gifts, which happened a few episodes ago. I think it was in January uh, and when we talked about, does God still speak in dreams and visions? And we were discussing that when we were going through the Genesis passages on Joseph and his per- propensity to have dreams and interpret them. Today, I had the privilege of having lunch with a pastor friend from Mexico who currently helps lead our ministry network here in the central coast of California. My brother is a Southern Baptist and has been for decades, and he told me a lot of amazing stories that were really encouraging, but the one that really sticks out and is applicable for today is he told me about a visit, actually two visits, he made to Saudi Arabia while he was working for a job with a large, legitimate logistics company when he was a bivocational pastor. While he was in Saudi Arabia, he would read Christian books in the lunchroom, which is pretty daring, and some of the Saudi workers at his company would come and talk to him about Jesus, and he would share the gospel with them. He didn't realize that was illegal in Saudi Arabia, and it is. But one of the workers in the factory heard the gospel from my brother and had a dream later that week, maybe even that night, I don't remember, in which Jesus came to him in a white robe. That man was gloriously saved that week, and he told my pastor friend about it. My friend came home to uh, uh, visit with his family. It was around Christmas time, but he was almost immediately summoned back to Saudi Arabia within a day or two. Upon returning, one of the head bosses of the whole operation, a very big operation, pulls him aside into a conversation about the worker that got saved. My friend thought he was in big trouble, but it turns out that this boss guy had also had a dream about Jesus, and he saw him in a pure white robe, and he wanted to know more about Jesus and the gospel. That man also believed in Jesus and was gloriously saved, and to this day, those two are seeing other people in the company become Christians as well. So, does God still speak in dreams and visions? Well, according to my Southern Baptist brother, yes, he does. So, let's read 1 Corinthians 14 together. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy... For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people, but to God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening encouragement and consolation. The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in other tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, and less he interprets so that the church may be built up. So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in other tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning." Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the person who speaks in another tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in another tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the Spirit, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the Spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in other tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another tongue. Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law, I will speak to this people by people of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Speaking in other tongues, then, is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in other tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all are prophesying, and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he's convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. What then, brothers and sisters? Whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, another tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. If anyone speaks in another tongue, there are to be... Only two, or at the most three, each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak and the other should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that everyone may learn and everyone may, may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophet, since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate from you? Or did it come from you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anybody ignores this, he will be ignored. So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in other tongues, but everything is to be done decently and in order. Continuing from yesterday, 10 important truths about gifts of the Spirit. And we'll cover four through seven today, or four through eight, depends on our time. Number four, and by the way, if you Missed one through three, we covered those yesterday on episode number 57. Number four, important truth about the gifts of the Spirit. We are commanded in Scripture to eagerly, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, both as a group and individually. This is especially true of the gift of prophecy. Prophecy. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty nine says, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. First Corinthians fourteen one says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And first Corinthians fourteen thirty nine says, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in other languages. So that's three commands right there to seek these spiritual gifts. Number five, we are all supposed to use our spiritual gifts. They aren't supposed to lie dormant. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Romans 12.6, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. I know here that that command applies to all believers. At the very least, all believers who actually know what gift they've been given. This would seem to mean that one must use whatever gift they have, regardless of opportunity or role in a church. That's a tricky concept. In most churches, only about 20%, maybe even less, of the people are actually actively serving in areas that line up with their spiritual gifts. Often, this is the fault of the leadership of the church. The pastors, elders, deacons, etc. The buck must stop with them. And when I read First Corinthians twelve through fourteen and Romans chapter twelve and Ephesians four, I see the body of Christ or the church depicted as a group where multiple people speak, sing, teach, prophesy, exhort, encourage, serve, help, etc. Yet in the Western Church, it's we have this artificial, holy, unbiblical division between lay people and clergy, and I'm. Putting those words in quotes with the clergy in quotes or professional ministers slash pastors during, during the vast majority of the minister. I serve as a senior pastor of a fellowship, which, you know, I know is not a biblical title, senior pastor. And I decry the concept of any sort of biblical division between lay people and clergy. I, I honestly think it's one of the weakest parts of the Western church. Yes, the Bible clearly calls for leadership in the body of Christ, but all of us are called to minister to each other, and all of us are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. There is not a special class of people in the church called to minister, and everybody else serves menially and watches. We are all called to minister, and church leaders, like myself, must make room for all saved believers to minister in the ways that the Holy Spirit has gifted them to. As well, those that are not in church leadership but are saved by Jesus need to realize and rejoice in the fact that they have been given a gift by God to edify and encourage other believers, and they must use their gifts for that role. Number six, when we serve with our spiritual gifts, the fellowship, and congregation, the church will grow. That means, uh, growth in spiritual maturity uh according to Ephesians 4:16 6, but also in Numbers 2 I think so Ephesians 4:16 says from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work That's one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. It's so deep, it's so beautiful, and it shows quite clearly that God has given gifted people to the church in order for the church to grow in love, to grow in numbers, to grow in encouragement, to grow in strength, and to grow in maturity. As each part of the body of Christ does its work, the whole body will be brought to maturity and growth. Conversely, when even a few parts of the local body of Christ are numb or not exercising their gifting or doing their work, then there will be more immaturity, less love, more discouragement, more weakness, and honestly, a decrease in ability to reach the lost and fulfill the Great Commission. We all need to be serving according to our gifts. We're not, uh, we're not the body of Christ unless we are doing that. Number seven. Every gift and gifted person is necessary. Stop and think for a second and try to name all of the pastors that you know, both local and national, living and dead. If you've been a Christian for any number of years, I imagine you can name at least a couple of dozen pastors. Some of my personal favorites are people like John Piper, Charles Spurgeon, Tim Keller, Dick Lucas, Matt Chandler, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Mark Dever, Frank Barker, Edwin Jenkins, David Platt, Ron Lotz, David McConnell, Hudson Taylor, who pastored as a missionary, and many others. The funny thing about us knowing so many pastors is that the word pastor in the New Testament really only appears once. That's right, one time in terms of describing an actual role or office in the church. As well, unless I'm misremembering, I don't think the New Testament ever identifies a pastor by name. Although you could probably make the case that Timothy, maybe Titus, were pastors. They're just never titled that. The reason I bring that up is that we are in a very pastor-centric state right now in the Western church, but the New Testament itself is not very pastor-centric. I've always found that odd. As a pastor myself, it's not like I'm personally offended that the current church is pastor-centric, but I'm offended biblically speaking. We are pastor-teacher heavy. Paul takes careful pains to disabuse the Corinthian church of the notion that only some gifted giftings are necessary or highly spiritual. In fact, he warns them to consider every gift necessary. Necessary is a strong word. You can't live without necessary things. And Paul clearly outlines in 1 Corinthians 12, 20-22 that all of the gifts— even the ones that might not seem important or might seem odd, are necessary. We all need each other. We all need every gift that the Holy Spirit chooses to distribute in a particular fellowship at a particular time. This particular foundational truth is a big deal to me. At the church I'm currently pastoring right now, I have a saying that I'm trying to get everybody to catch hold of, and it is, everybody plays ball. It's one of my life statements, and of course, I realize it's kind of a lame uh guy sports metaphor. I probably do that too many, but I believe one of the clear it it's represents one of the clearest teachings of scripture that the modern church often misses. And what I mean by it is every saved Christian has a gift that is crucial and necessary and even indispensable to the local body of Christ. Everybody gets to participate and use their spiritual gift. Everybody gets to have the joy of being used by God to build up His people. Everybody gets to be on the great adventure of ministry. There are no benchwarmers in the body of Christ. Everybody plays ball. Everybody has an important role to fill. Everybody is important in the body of Christ. And that's not just an encouraging statement, it is a biblical reality. Well, with that said, let us move on to reading the rest of our Bible passages for today. Tomorrow, more about the spiritual gifts. For now, Exodus chapter 10, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may do these miraculous signs of mine among them, and so that you may tell your son and grandson how severely I dealt with the Egyptians and performed miraculous signs among them, and you will know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and told him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says— How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may worship me. But if you refuse to let my people go, then tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. They will cover the surface of the land so that no one will be able to see the land. They will eat the remainder left to you that escaped the hail, and they will eat every tree you have growing in the fields. They will fill your houses, all your officials' houses and the houses of all, the Egyptians, something your fathers and grandfathers never saw since the time they occupied the land until today. Then he turned and left Pharaoh's presence. Pharaoh's officials asked him, How long must this man be a snare to us? Let the men go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Don't you realize yet that Egypt is devastated? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, Pharaoh said. But exactly who will be going? Moses replied, We will go with our young and with our old. We will go with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our herds, because we must hold the Lord's festival. He said to them, The Lord would have to be with you if I would ever let you and your families go. Look out, you're heading for trouble. No, "'Go, just the able-bodied men. "'Worship the Lord, since that's what you want.' "'They were driven from Pharaoh's presence. "'The Lord then said to Moses, "'Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt, "'and the locusts will come up over it "'and eat every plant in the land, "'everything that the hail left. "'So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, "'and the Lord sent an east wind over the land "'all that day and through the night.' By morning, the east wind had brought in the locusts. The locusts went up over the entire land of Egypt and settled on the whole territory of Egypt. Never before had there been such a large number of locusts, and there will never be again. They covered the surface of the whole land so that the land was black, and they consumed all the plants on the ground and all the fruit on the trees that the hail had left. Nothing green was left on the trees of the plants in the field throughout the land of Egypt. Pharaoh urgently sent for Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Please forgive my sin once more and make an appeal to the Lord your God so that he will just take this death away from me. Moses left Pharaoh's presence and appealed to the Lord. Then the Lord changed the wind to a strong west wind and it carried off the locusts and blew them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the Israelites go. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven and there will be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness throughout the land of Egypt for three days. One person could not see another, and for three days they did not move from where they were. Yet all the Israelites had light where they lived. Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, "'Go, worship the Lord. Even your families may go with you. Only your your flocks and herds must stay behind.'" Moses responded, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings to prepare for the Lord our God. Even our livestock must go with us. Not a hoof will be left behind because we will take some of them to worship the Lord our God. We will not know what we will use to worship the Lord until we get there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was unwilling to let them go. Pharaoh said to him, Leave me. Make sure you never see my face again for on the day you see my face you will die As you have said Moses replied I will never see your face again Job chapter 28 verse 1 Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined iron is taken from the ground and copper is smelted from ore A miner puts an end to the darkness. He probes the deepest recesses for ore in the gloomy darkness. He cuts a shaft far from human habitation in places unknown to those who walk above ground. Suspended far away from people, the miners swing back and forth. Food may come from the earth, but below the surface the earth is transformed as by fire. Its rocks are a source of lapis lazuli containing flecks of gold. No bird of prey knows that path, no falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts have never walked on it, no lion has ever prowled over it. The miner uses a flint tool and turns up ore from the root of the mountains. He cuts out channels in the rocks and his eyes spot every treasure. He dams up the streams from flowing so that he may bring light to what is hidden. But where can wisdom be found and where is understanding located? No one can know its value since it cannot be found in the land of the living. The ocean depths say, it's not in me, while the sea declares, I don't have it. Gold cannot be exchanged for it, and silver cannot be weighed out for its price. Wisdom cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Gold and glass do not compare with it, and articles of fine gold cannot be exchanged for it. Coral and quartz are not worth mentioning. The price of wisdom is beyond pearls topaz from cush cannot compare with it and it cannot be valued in pure gold where then does wisdom come from and where is understanding located it is hidden from the eyes of every living thing and concealed from the birds of the sky abaddon and death say We have heard news of it with our ears. But God understands the way to wisdom, and He knows its location. For He looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When God fixed the weight of the wind and distributed the water by measure, when He established a limit for the rain and a path for the lightning, He considered wisdom and evaluated it. He established it and examined it. He said to mankind, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn from evil is understanding. Luke chapter 13 At that time, some people came and reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices, and he responded to them, Do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Or those eighteen that the tower in Siloam fell on and killed, do you think they were more sinful than all the other people who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He told the vineyard worker, Listen, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it even waste the soil? But he replied to him, Sir, leave it this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Perhaps it will produce fruit next year, but if not, you can cut it down. As he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called out to her, "'Woman, you are free of your disability.' Then he laid his hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded by telling the crowd, "'There are six days when work should be done. Therefore, come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day.' But the Lord answered him and said, "'Hypocrites!' Doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for eighteen years. Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he had said these things, all his adversaries were humiliated, but the whole crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things he was doing. He said, therefore, What is the kingdom of God like, and what can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. Again he said, What can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like leaven that a woman took and mixed into fifty pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. He went through one town and village after another, teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. Lord, someone asked him, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able. Once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door, then you will stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us. He will answer you. I don't know you or know where you're from. Then you will say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you're from. Get away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves thrown out. They will come from east and west, from north and south to share the banquet in the kingdom of God. Note this, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. At that time some Pharisees came and told him, Go, get out of here, Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, You go tell that fox, look, I'm driving out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will complete my work. Yet it is necessary that I travel today, tomorrow, and the next day, because it is not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is abandoned to you. I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And indeed, we pray for the peace of Israel and hope that Jerusalem soon says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.